This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. You have an investing style. TD Ameritrade has a mobile app to match it. Check out TD Ameritrade Mobile and Think or Swim Mobile to find the one that's right for you. Member SIPC. It's Thursday, November 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and I am joined in studio by Motley Fool analysts Aaron Bush and Emily Flippin. How are we doing this Thursday? All right. Decent. Decent. Okay, well, I'm going to try to upgrade you from yeah, decent <laughs> to like slightly above decent. I don't know why I said that. It's, it's been a good day. That's okay. No, that's okay. You're, you're lowering expectations. We have Fool's Giving lunch around the corner. so it's That's true. Yeah. We have kind of our annual Thanksgiving lunch that we're very, very excited about. Um, and we're also excited about some, some, some news of the day. We've got PayPal buying Honey for $4 billion. No, not Honey the Food. We're going to talk about it. Um, but yeah, PayPal's biggest acquisition ever. We'll get to that. Um, and we're going to talk about Macy's. Macy's not doing well, um, selling off on earnings. And we're going to talk, speaking of not doing well, Aaron, Google's gaming service. You, as one of our resident gamers, you're excited about Google's gaming service, right, Stadia? Uh, it's one of the dumpster fires we'll be talking about today. Okay, okay. So, not as excited. Okay, well, we will get to that. <laughs> we will get to that. But let's begin with the big deal of the day. Fox Business News reporting that Charles Schwab is buying TD Ameritrade for $26 billion. TD Ameritrade shares up around 18% at the time of our taping. Schwab up around 8%. So, interesting that both companies are up. Emily Flippin, let's talk about what the deal means for investors, for consumers, and for the competition. Well, for investors, this is a big deal in the sense that both Schwab and TD Ameritrade are the largest publicly traded companies brokers in their business, some of the biggest competitors. Earlier this year, we saw Schwab slash their fees to nothing, which sent TD Ameritrade stock down, I think it's something like 20 30% in a single day. It was really substantial. Um, so, the idea that there's acquisition in the space isn't completely unsurprising, because of the fact that fees have gotten so low, this now feels like it's a game about scale, as it is, as opposed to just monetizing the users better. You need more users, because you're making a lot less money off of them. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what this means for their competitors, some of the biggest ones being Interactive Brokers, Fidelity. Obviously, Robinhood has kind of been on the out-and-out out since earlier in October, but now this is just putting additional pressure on all some of the, the larger brokers that maybe won't have the scale that Schwab and TD Ameritrade will have. And you just mentioned the competition and Robinhood. Robinhood's special sauce was their free trades, right? And as you mentioned, Emily, a month ago, both Schwab and then TD Ameritrade announced they were eliminating commissions for most online trades. So, where does that leave Robinhood? Where does all of this leave Robinhood? Robinhood's I say, special sauce was more than just its free trades. I think that's how it got its start, for sure, and that's what made it such a compelling platform. But I think they also have a little bit of an advantage in their ease of access. Their interface is much sleeker than that that you get otherwise. It's simplistic. You're not getting a lot of the research and stuff you'll get with other brokers, but you do get a nice app, you get Bitcoin trading, and they're recently spreading internationally as well, so spreading to the UK. Um, I think that this does have a material impact on their business, clearly. it's it's As Aaron showed me maybe a month ago, it's way too easy to move your assets from Robinhood. Um, so, I have moved mine from Robinhood into my Fidelity account, the little that I had there. So, it's a it's a really low switching cost business, and unfortunately, that's going to hurt Robinhood. Yeah, to be clear, I think this is about more than just fees going to zero. So, if you look at Schwab's business, um, when they announce that fees are going to zero, that's only going to impact about three to four percent of their revenue. 
because they make most of their money from um, net interest margins, like interest on assets that are being held by lots of consumers. They make money um, from their their registered investment advisor RIA business. Um, uh, so in some ways, this is really competing more with like a BlackRock than like a, a Robinhood. Um, but TD Ameritrade, they they also make money in some other areas, but uh, maybe like. A quarter of their business or so comes from these transaction fees, and so they got hit hard for a reason. Um, so I think what we're seeing is Schwab being smart in their timing, announcing fees going to zero, which weakens competitors, which lets them buy, you know, still one of the strongest players for a lower price. And even with, you know, what they're rumored to be paying right now, that still is about where the stock. Was not too long ago, um, so I don't know. It seems pretty smart on Schwab's part, and they get lots of scale advantages beyond just trading, but across tons of different investments. So it sounds like a complimentary deal, right? Given what you're saying about Schwab's business and TD Ameritrade's business, I mean, you have you have potentially. I don't want to use the word synergy, but maybe you have some synergy. I think you get scale advantages. I think, and I think that this. Could just be the first move of many for the entire industry consolidating. We will see. And it's bigger than just trading fees, though. It's fees across the entire financial industry going to nothing. So even there's there's registered investment advisory services. There's been a lot of downer pressure on everything from funds to individual access to trading. So yeah, it is a game of scale now. I agree with Aaron. I. I'll also say that when you look at this combination and and the purchase price that is being paid by Schwab for TD Ameritrade, it, it is curious because what caused that value in the first place was competition. And so when you have somebody that's eating up the competition, it begs the question of okay, well, if competition's what caused it the fees to go down, what happens when you start seeing consolidation in this space? And I don't think the fees will go back up, but I do think that the government's probably going to take a hard look at this acquisition and say at what point do we see something that's anti-competitive? And let's move on to retail Macy's down on earnings, earnings that were better than expected, but well, Sales were not. Macy's cutting its full year sales and profit outlook. Macy's citing a warmer fall and weaker spending by international tourists. Aaron, is there is there any good news here, or what's going on with Macy's? Uh, no, there unfortunately is not any good news. <laughs> Sorry to say, and I feel like it's funny because we probably could say everything that we're saying right now five years ago, and it would. It could be the exact same radio show. Which you were saying before our taping, I think, was the last time you shopped at Macy's, right? Yeah, around five years ago. <laughs> so, so you can blame me. You can blame everybody else like me. But yeah, I mean, this quarter was bad. Sales were down, comps were down, guidance is being lowered. And I mean, as you mentioned, according to management, like it's being impacted by, <laughs> by international tourists shopping there less, which, if I'm an investor, that's not really what I want to see propping up my retail <laughs> store like Macy's. Um, weaker than anticipated performance in lower tier malls. Like that, that sentence in and of itself should be self-explanatory about like the entire past decade and next decade. Um, and then cold weather, which I don't know. Every time people blame weather for a store like this, yeah. it just irks me. Um, so lots of duh, lots of eye rolling. You know, kind of going through the press release. Um, so it's really more of the same. And I think like you still have to recognize that this is a business that generates cash. The stock looks cheap when you look at the cash that's being provided, but it's tough to have. Any confidence in the future of this business when it's still relying on malls and international tourists and weather, apparently. Um, and even if you look at like the major stock price decline of the past, you know, five years or so, the price is still 
double what it was at the lowest point in like the 2008-2009 recession. So if you can't think if you don't think this can get worse, you're probably wrong. Wow. Okay, that sounds pretty ugly. So I want I want I want to have us kind of do a little thought experiment here because this very same week, Target just yesterday just blow out earnings, Target up big, big hitting a new all-time high. So Emily, in 5 years from now, we're looking at Macy's and saying, "What an incredible run. This was the time to buy." <laughs> What happened? A comet came down from space, you know, destroyed Walmart, Target, Burlington, TJ Maxx. No, I, I'm not sure at this point what could save them. I'd say being smart with their merchandising is probably the best thing they can do to make use of the assets that they have right now. I think part of the reason why Target's done so well is because they've really had strength in the way that they've marketed and merchandised their apparel, which, if you looked at their last quarter, was a big growth driver for them. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would want to see they do produce a lot of cash, but they're not really smart about how they use it in terms of investing for growth. And that's fine if you don't think that there is anywhere good to invest in growth. It makes sense to give it all away in the form of dividends. But if you want to see this business like return to growth and find like a new type of catalyst, you better find something to invest in. <laughs> and Aaron, what gets maybe a comet? I like that a comet. Aaron, what what gets you back into a Macy's? What, gets what would it take? Yeah, what would it take for Aaron Bush? The year is 2019. Aaron Bush goes to Macy's. This sounds bad, but probably bankruptcy, so that everything goes like 90 percent off. <laughs> <laughs> That's not really a business strategy. Uh, I, I know. <laughs> okay, not helpful for Macy's. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, let's move on to PayPal. PayPal buying Honey Science Corporation for four billion dollars. Honey is a discount and rewards platform. It's developed a browser add-on and mobile app that helps consumers find discounts. Um, Honey also offers up other money-saving tools. Now, Emily, this is PayPal's biggest acquisition yet. Is it a good buy? $4 billion for a Chrome extension in an app. Wow. It's PayPal's biggest acquisition. And at first, when I saw that number, I was sticker-shocked. I was like, there's no way this is a good deal. And then I realized something. Honey's making a lot of money off me. I am a Honey user. That sounds like a weird thing to say. Um, I'm not addicted to Honey. I do use the app. I'm a Honey user, and apparently, Honey makes a good chunk of money off of, I think it's 79% female millennial users. So I'm right there in their target demographic. They have about 17 million users. That's a small number of users for a $4 billion price. $235. Per user. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> I couldn't do that math in my head. It's a lot of money. I don't know if I'm worth $235. Um, but apparently, PayPal. You are definitely thinks, oh, worth $235. <laughs> but to PayPal, apparently, I'm worth it. And it's interesting because. You know, at the end of 2018, those those 17 million users were really using it, like you said, just to get coupons. But apparently, PayPal thinks that Honey's going to be accretive to their bottom line as soon as the acquisition goes through, which says that Honey is being profitable off of their browser extension. So, PayPal's been a little bit trigger happy with acquisitions in the past. It'll be interesting to see if this one has panned out as well as some of their previous ones have. Yeah, I mean, I think the deal looks expensive if you look at the current state of. Of Honey's business, so the the deal very much hinges on being able to tap into PayPal's broader network and rapidly scale out across all of its other users in different ways. And you know, strategically, I think it's interesting. Um, there's been so much 
focused and competing for the checkout experience. And PayPal is very much a pioneer in that. But as other things like Apple Pay and now Visa Checkout and all these other things come on board, even though PayPal has done well, it's very obviously lost market share. So it's almost shifting the strategic focus and saying, like, okay, we'll still compete in the checkout experience, but now we're also going to compete in the browsing and discovery and what leads up into the checkout experience. And I think Honey probably is a good deal for for doing that. It's a it's a it's a good strength. Um, and this is sort of a fun fact, but I was I was kind of surprised. I was like, is this really PayPal's largest acquisition? Um, especially since you know Braintree is big, Venmo is big, um, and it turns out that. Uh, it is in, in oh. 2012. I didn't want to have to read that. I know. I know. I was, I know, I was, I was surprised. In 2012, Braintree acquired Venmo for 26 million dollars, and then in the next year, PayPal acquired Braintree with Venmo for 800 million dollars. Which, looking back, this is probably one of the smartest acquisitions, at least in like the fintech world. That we've seen, like period. So I, that this isn't—they're not buying Honey for eight hundred million. But if they if they think that the network effect potential is there the same way, the upside could be pretty substantial. And it's a great name. Like hearing you just say they're not buying Honey. I mean, come on! Don't we love the name Honey? Don't we love Honey? Do we love Honey? I think that's a terrible name. I hate Honey. I hate the name. You hate Honey? Okay, hate Honey is a little bit. It's a it's a strong word. But if I'm going to sweeten something, I'm going to use something other than Honey. It's not strong enough, and it comes from bees. No one thinks about that, right? Where does Honey come from? It's not exactly an appealing thing to put on your food and put in your mouth. But. So what what do you have against bees? Oh, the fact that they're they're bees and I don't want them near me. I know they help the environment and they do lots of good stuff, pollination wow. and I, they could just do that very far away from me and my wow, mouth. Send your emails to <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Yeah, I, to to extend this unnecessarily. I, I learned that you know like the honey that it's like in the bears. Oh, I don't think I want to know. Like this. it's it's like mostly not honey. It's like all just like artificial huh. stuff, and like is that true? Barely. It's oh, you're like, talking the little plastic bears. It, yeah, it like okay, stretches. Sorry, I lost you there for a moment. It stretches okay. the definition of what honey. Oh, so I should is. get that then. Okay, okay. Yeah. No, but I think it's fun to like squeeze it out of the bear, and I don't know. It's just one of these yeah, simple I mean, things I find satisfying. Yeah, it's it's nice. Okay, Emily's a hater. <sighs> wow, As I I love 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 me some honey. Okay, this episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. So, you've done a ton of research on a trade, but you can't decide if you want to go through with it. TD Ameritrade's Trade Desk might be the secret to figuring it all out. Just go to tdameritrade.com slash trade desk to see how they can help gut check your trades. Member SIPC. And our final story, a rough debut for Google's new video game service, Stadia. Launched this week. Now, the idea here is they would be able to stream video games like well, you stream TV shows, but not working out too well. Stadia taking heat for a lack of features, a poor lineup of games, and a slow response time. That's just to name a few. Now, Aaron, that does not sound very good. I wanted to say fun and games, but it sounds like the fun is lagging. Oh, that was that was a good pun, Mac. The, <laughs> the, uh, the, yeah, the original premise of Stadia was, and it still is compelling, to be able to play any game on any device, because the game is streaming to you from a server somewhere you know, in the cloud. Um, and that's still interesting, and one day inevitable. But Google, 
you know, in its attempt to be the first mover instead of really like the best mover, um, just completely and utterly failed to execute well. Wow, um, strong words. And yeah, now it's the laughing stock of the industry. But um, but it's early. This is the first week. So do you see the ability? Like two weeks from now, could we say, hey, they've they've got it all no. figured out? No, no, not not in two weeks. So there's there's a ton of problems. The lag is horrible, which is really just like a fundamental technology problem that will take time to solve. It doesn't support many devices. Which sure they can add more devices over time. The the game library is just comically bad. Like it's just like nothing there. Um, Pac Man or. Well, I mean, like there are some, there are like some games, and like they have like Red Dead Redemption and and, and stuff. That so games that are still relevant, but they okay. only have twenty two games, and originally they were only going to launch with twelve, and okay. <laughs> that's that's like that's nothing. So the gameplay is bad, and there are not many games. Yep, lots of broken promises about wireless, about shipping times, and it's in my mind, it's just like a classic case of over promising and under delivering. Wow. And even if this is a beta test. They never framed it up that way. Um, the, Emily's giving me weird faces. They didn't frame it up that way. They tried to get everybody excited. They tried to get as many like pre-orders as possible. And there's no way that they wanted to come out this terrible. So even if you think there's a long-term future here, I think there are a ton of headwinds. There are like technology problems. There are business model problems. There are content problems. There are perception problems. Wow. There is a world this... where Stadia can succeed. Um, but I think it's fair to question whether they will get there. And when they get there, there will be more competition. Their investments in exclusives might not be good enough compared to other people. Um, and I think it's unclear whether they can target like a specific enough demographic to actually be able to pivot their business model towards something like subscription that would work for something like this. Um, so yeah, lots of problems. So what I hear you saying is, if you're Macy's this week, you may want to hang out with Stadia because you feel kind of better about yourself. Yeah, right? this is dumpster fire number two of the episode. <laughs> okay, Emily. Look, I I might be a honey hater, but I'm not a Stadia hater, and this Stadia <laughs> succeeds in my world. It succeeds in my world. It's not succeeding right now. All the points you mentioned are good points and they're fair points but they're all fixable and i think that the gaming community in general expected a lot from this there's a lot of excitement about the concept of cloud gaming it's a concept that's not new it's been tried before and it has failed before but google has the infrastructure needed to make cloud cloud gaming possible and it was a beta test and it was advertised as a beta test because of the fact that it's going to be a free service it's not a free service right now it's a paid service right now you need to buy their special chromecast dongle you need to buy their special remote you need to you know pay up for that getting that immediate access to it, and people have been angry because it's lagging a bit and because they didn't immediately get their access codes, and I, I get it. It's not usable. They, no, they paid $130. <laughs> it is usable, actually, if people who have access to it right now. No, the concept is there. The concept I'm not a gamer, but usability is, sounds important. <laughs> Aaron, is, Aaron is grossly misleading listeners right now. I genuinely believe uh, so. It's a usable, it is a usable product. In fact, if you listen to the reviews from people who have access to it, all the games are playable. They're transferable across their devices, their Google devices, and you have to have the special whatevers to make them play, but that's how it is right now. Um, there is a little bit of lag. However, the lag is really noticeable if you are trying to competitively play games online. And so for the average gamer, it's I'm fine. Not, and I'm, it does beg the question of what's the average gamer paying $130 to get state? Yeah, there's not one. Right what about now. the below average be. gamer? Would that would, would it work for <laughs> well, as well? So, so that's the, the thing. free version, maybe. There, so, I mean, like, the lag is bad and it's really inconsistent. So, mm -hmm. like, depending on where you are yes. and what you're playing on, like, it, 
like it's just not going to be the same experience, which for like a lot of games is a problem. And I think part of the problem is that right off the bat, they're trying to be everything to everybody, which like if you study just like textbook disruptors innovation, like those disruptive ideas win when they're able to first target a niche that isn't being served well by what exists today that you know like the hardcore gamers of today like wouldn't be satisfied by but stadia isn't doing that and so if i were them and i wanted to turn things around and succeed like i would focus very much on like delaying expectations refocusing on finding that one audience that 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 is being underserved, making it a great experience for them, and then building out to other gamers that are more critical and have higher expectations. They could do that. I don't know if they will. By the time they get there, again, like I mean, Microsoft's going to be doing this. Sony's going to be doing this. Um, they'll still probably be like the weakest link um, in the industry. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think it's 100% game over, but it's a really bad start that gives them headwinds that are tougher to deal with going forward. Okay, so let's talk about that going forward. Five years from now, if we're talking about a company that has become the Netflix of streaming video games, who are we talking about? Um, I think Microsoft is the best position, um, because they, they have already like a leading console, lots of exclusive content. They're building up a library game pass of you know like hundreds of of titles that you can play are very much shifting the model over towards like a subscription model, but also for the device where it's more like a like an iPhone model, um, and they have all the pieces worked out. Like Microsoft owns Azure, they they like have everything. Um, I mean, PlayStation will be relevant. Maybe not. They're not probably going to be as successful on that front as Microsoft and Stadia is a question mark. Amazon is a question mark. I don't disagree. Google doesn't own content, and that's been part of the biggest challenge for them entering cloud gaming is the fact that they don't really have any games, right? And I think I see a bigger future for Google Stadia as a platform, a neutral platform, as opposed to something like Microsoft or Amazon, if it were to ever enter that field. Um, and I think that's probably where the future is for them. I don't think they're trying to be a content generator the way that that you know Xbox has, yeah. has really provided I mean, a great platform for content. I think they could be like a Roku. Um, yeah. And that analogy works, but also like all the other platforms will be too. And then it's essentially like Roku's different Roku's competing based on exclusives. I think the question is, do they want to? Right? And I think Google's in the best. I think Google doesn't want to be a content generator. I think it wants to be a platform. And I think the other one should focus on where they do best, which is content generation, and then leave the really, really annoyingly complicated process of cloud gaming to the company that has huge numbers of, of cloud service and, and can dedicate that space to it. Yeah, we'll see. Google traditionally is pretty bad at at facing problems that aren't technology problems. Mm -hmm. Like they they really suffered for a while with Google Cloud because they didn't have any like Salesforce expertise. They suffered they suffered with YouTube Red trying to like create like a premium YouTube because of like not having exclusive content expertise. And so, you know, Google very much like as like one of the best, if not the best technology company in the world, their their hammer is technology and they view every nail as a technology problem. And there's like a cultural um, change that needs to happen if they want to succeed in all these other areas that also have content problems, media problems, just other Salesforce problems that need to be solved. And let's wrap up with our desert island question. You're on a desert island. You have five years, and you've got to buy one of these stocks. 
the combined Charles Schwab TD Ameritrade, assuming that deal happens, um, PayPal, Macy's, or Alphabet, the parent company of Google and Stadia. I'm not going to go down with this ship. I'm not going to go with Google, just to be contrarian. I think there's a good future for, for TD Ameritrade and Charles Schwab if that merger goes through, but that's a big if. So I'm not going to count my eggs before they're hatched or count my chickens before they're hatched. I think you can count the eggs first. Um, so I'm going to go with Google. Uh, I'm going to go with PayPal. They're a lot smaller than Google, and they have a lot going for them across a lot of different dimensions and are proving that they can reinvest and acquire into other areas and grow through that, too. Excellent. Emily, Aaron, I hope we're now feeling more. Aaron, are we feeling more than decent now? I'm, I'm feeling good, and I'm really excited for launch. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Thanks for having us. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Greer. We will see you on Monday.